Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in New York City, New York, with my new friend Rebecca Cheval of Not Just Tourist New York. She's part of a nonprofit organization that connects travelers with the community they are visiting so they can deliver surplus medical supplies to people in need. Rebecca has lived in New York City since 2009, and she loves the energy and passion that are unmatched anywhere else. In this episode, Rebecca and I talk about getting a drink at the Blind Barber Speakeasy, watching ballet at the Lincoln Center, and taking the Staten Island Ferry. You hear about these three amazing experiences and so much more. If you know someone that wants to visit New York, I'd love it if you shared this episode with them. The show notes and our one-page guide to Rebecca's tips are available at wetravelthere.com forward slash New York. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Using airline miles and hotel points makes travel affordable, but keeping track of all those loyalty programs can be a challenge. That's why I use AwardWall to track my miles and points balances, reservations, and special goodies like free hotel night certificates and airline companion passes. Having everything in one easy-to-use dashboard helps ensure that I don't lose any rewards and makes logging into my accounts super easy. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash AwardWallet to start your free account. Hey, Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Today, we're talking about New York City, the city that never sleeps. I'm actually getting ready to come out there next month for an Expedia event. And so I'm really excited to learn more about the city ahead of my trip to be able to learn some some new things and find out some cool restaurants and everything like that that you recommend. Absolutely. So what's your connection to New York? So I've been living here for about 14 years. I grew up about 100 miles away in a small town in Pennsylvania and always really loved coming to visit New York. Um, It sort of looms large, I think. You know, it casts a very big shadow. Certainly even, you know, a lot of the television stations, you know, this is back when there were 40 channels, uh, were from New York City and, you know, just always aware of it. By the time I was a bit older, two of my older siblings were living in New York. So I pretty much moved here right after I graduated college. Right on. Now, obviously, if you've been here all these years, what keeps you coming back? Because I know you travel kind of extensively for the organization you're with. I mostly travel for for fun or for interest. I've done a lot of like remote work kind of travel, especially in the last few years. But New York just has an energy and a passion that's kind of unparalleled. And you know, I really love to travel. And so it can be very pleasant to leave, but it's always amazing to come back. And the biggest thing I think is just when you walk the streets of New York, it kind of gives you energy and gives you life really interesting way. No, absolutely. I, I feel the same way about Nashville. Like the first time I went down Broadway and it's just like, it was like just a cool vibe and it, and the energy I felt and everything. I was like, Oh, this is definitely a co- cool spot to be able to, to live in. When people are planning their trip to New York, what's the weather like throughout the year? You know, obviously it's in the Northern part of the U S so winters are, are kind of cold, but I don't think there's a lot of snow and those type of things that happen there in New York City, is there? So we pretty much have bad weather as a general concept. Um, (laughs) My father is often fond of saying that, imagine how many people New York would have if it had good weather. So maybe it's for the best. We don't get a ton of snow, uh, at least in the city itself. Even when it does snow, it tends not to stick because the ground is too hot. But it does get very cold and the days can be kind of short in the winter. I would personally not recommend coming January to March. And we do have very hot summers, particularly in July and August. 
there's a lot to do during that period of time. So it's sort of a trade-off. But if you are not great with it being 95 and also 95% humidity, July and August are probably not for you. It's the humidity that really kills you more than the temperature. Um, The city like locks it in, in this sort of localized greenhouse effect way. So, you know, a lot of the classic answer of when to come to New York is the fall and the Christmas season. I also really recommend the spring, April, May, June can be really wonderful times of the year weather wise and everything's in bloom and a lot of cherry blossoms. People are excited to be outside again, all of that. Well, nice. Are there certain like festivals or events that, that happen during that time that people want to plan their trip around? I actually generally don't recommend that people go to particularly large events in New York if they are coming to see the city. I don't think it's a great way to see the city and it will probably be larger and more chaotic than you expect. Two of the big ones that happened just like in the early this summer so far were Governor's Ball and then a much, much larger event, which is New York City Pride. Governor's Ball, which is a concert festival, is about 150,000 people. And I think you could have a similar experience if you're not in the, from the New York City area at kind of a, another concert in another place that might be like less annoying to get to. <laughs> and then Pride, which about 75 to 100,000 people march in that parade alone, between one and two million people, depending on who you believe in terms of the reporting of the numbers. So there can be really amazing events and Pride is like a very magical experience, but it will probably be much more overwhelming than you're expecting, especially if you don't live in a really densely populated city. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I spend pretty much all day sitting here in my office and being around that many people, it would definitely be a little bit overwhelming, (laughs) at least at first. Yes. I mean, even as a New Yorker who is constantly surrounded by people, those sort of larger events can be intimidating sometimes. So I do think it can be best to just come and see the city and really appreciate the kind of everyday life. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, New York is one of those cities that there's something going on all the time. So, and there's so many great things to to visit and to experience that you don't need like a special event to have a great time and, and actually run out of time while you're there to be able to see it all. Yes. And it'll be much easier to get into restaurants and bars and anywhere else you want to go if it's not a special weekend. Oh, absolutely. When people are planning their trip, I know New York is one of those great spots that I miss. Like, This is one of the things I really miss about LA. I I had so many different opportunities for different airports to have (laughs) access to. Being here in Nashville, like I got just ours, unless I want to drive four hours to Atlanta. So one of the great things about New York is they also have multiple different airports to choose from, but I think New Yorkers generally have like a preference of one over the other. So we do have, depending on who you ask, three or four airports in the city. And well, two of only two of them are actually in New York City and then two of them are in the very close in suburbs. I personally am a fan of JFK, mostly because you can take public transit to get there. Newark is also accessible by public transit. LaGuardia, there's a bus, but it's not a great system. LaGuardia also only does flights within about 1,500 miles. So it's really mostly flights up and down the East Coast. So if you want to go internationally beyond Canada and the Caribbean, or even to the West Coast, the US, LaGuardia, you'll have to transfer. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So say if we were going to go to JFK or Newark, then from there, you said the public transportation would be like the best way to get into the city? Yes, I think so. JFK has both the Long Island Railroad and access directly into the New York City subway. 
and Newark has a like a special train that takes you from Newark into Penn Station. And they're both quite easy to use, I would say. I would also note, just because this is a recent occurrence, they have improved LaGuardia. They have completely redone LaGuardia. It was like seven years of horrible construction around it. That is done. And LaGuardia is actually now an extremely nice airport. Some people might remember that Joe Biden once called it like a third world airport. Uh, (laughs) It's it's now the other extreme. It's now maybe they're too nice. I've seen some of the photos (laughs) on social media and it looks amazing. But like you said... You know, I would favor the convenience over like the the little bit of experience that I would get at the airport. So we're gonna take public transportation in. You know, I, I've seen the I've seen the driving, I've seen all the the crazy cabbies and everything like that. Definitely don't recommend renting a car when we were there visiting in New York City, correct? Definitely don't. Driving is a mess. There's I don't know special rules I would say for driving in the city, and I'm not even totally clear on what all of them are. Uh, I don't have a car. I know very few people who do, and generally when New Yorkers have cars. They mostly use them to leave the city. Definitely, in addition to driving being chaotic, parking is purposefully difficult and expensive, right? The city wants to discourage people from bringing in cars. So they have actively, you know, a lot of parking taxes and parking fines, all of those things. You know, the plus side is we have really extensive and elaborate, many forms of public transit. Really recommend walking as well. I think it's a really amazing way to see the city and just to experience so much of like the street life of New York. Even if you want to be as lazy as possible in New York, you're going to walk a lot. So wear very comfortable shoes, leave cute ones at home. New York will destroy them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very serious about that, even though I'm laughing, but they will. And yeah, you know, really the walking and the public transit are a part of sort of experiencing New York in addition to just a way to get around. So particularly, I think like you really can't see New York without experiencing the subway because it's such an integral part of life here. Absolutely. I think because New York is so compact that there's like so much fit into every square block that if you take that subway and it moves up, you know, four or five blocks between stations or whatever, like you're going to miss so much that's, that's there in between. Or if you're, you know, if for whatever reason you decide to drive through there, you know, you're going to be focused on the road. You're not going to be able to see anything that's happening you know, on the side there. So you're going to miss everything that, that you want to be able to enjoy. You'll definitely get to miss stuff because bikes and pedestrians will jump in front of your car and expect you to stop. Private cars sort of have the lowest rank, I would say, on the order <laughs> of like who gets the right of way in New York. So <laughs> sure, sure. Now, speaking of bikes, uh, I think, is it City is the one that does a lot of the, the bike rentals there in New York? Yes. I'm personally a big user of the City bike system. So it's like City with an I, the bank. Not like the city of New York, which actually when they first announced it, I I thought city with a Y. This is going back a few years already, but they're all over Manhattan. There's tons of stations and they are also rather extensively in most of the other boroughs, the more inner parts, which is essentially to say the parts closer to Manhattan. And it's a really can be a very good way to get around. It is somewhat similarly to driving a bit of a learning curve. And if you're not used to biking in a city, maybe rather intimidating to people. On the plus side, you go a lot slower than driving, so you you have a better reaction time, but it can be a cool way to see the city and it's it's pretty inexpensive to use as well. Nice, nice. Now, as we're talking about visiting York, I mean, when you think of Manhattan and everything and and the different boroughs, it's actually a pretty large area. And so when you think of where you'd want to stay when you're visiting New York, 
do you have any recommendations as far as like neighborhoods or type of boutique or a little bit more of like a, a unique experience type of type of a hotel? I don't personally honestly have a lot of experiences with the actual hotels in New York, at least the hotel rooms, unfortunately. I do recommend when people come visit that they try to stay near Union Square, which does have a number of hotels. You get a lot of the kind of chaos experience of New York, but you're also right next to the Union Square subway station, which has very good access to most of Manhattan and almost all of Brooklyn as well. Another thing that people can do is maybe not quite as exciting, but in the financial district, especially on the weekends, there can be very good deals on hotels because they're really been built for people to come, you know, business travelers to come stay there. Oh, sure. Most of the hotels in New York are in Midtown. I wouldn't recommend that experience, but, you know, obviously a lot of people do do like it. Midtown is the most touristy area of this part of the city. So you're probably going to see the most of kind of what other tourists are doing and less of what's happening in New York. Oh, sure. Yeah, you're not going to get like that, really that authentic experience. And especially if it's during like a big tourist time, the rates are probably going to be higher in that area than they are in some of these other different parts of the, of the city. Yes. I mean, if you can stay with friends or family in like a more residential neighborhoods, I would always recommend that. There's also a couple of very cute, although rather expensive boutique hotels both in Williamsburg and in the sort of downtown Brooklyn area. The William Vale Hotel in Williamsburg, it's particularly nice, has like a lot of great amenities, is by a lot of different interesting things that are happening in the city. It's definitely not cookie cutter. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah, I I love finding hotels that have that unique experience that, you know, as much as I like using my hotel points for like Marriott and Hilton and everything like that, sometimes when you're in the room, you don't know if you're in New York or... Kansas or LA, you know, when you're inside there. So having that unique experience uh, to me is, is part of the whole fun of, of the, of the travel. So when, when we're thinking of New York, obviously you got some of the big tourist attractions there. You got Statue of Liberty, you got the Empire State Building and you know, the 9-11 Museum and those type of things. I think most people kind of know about those. Let's talk about some of the things that maybe people don't really know about or your recommendations for like alternatives to some of those uh, big attractions. Sure. I mean, one of my number one recommendations is to pick different neighborhoods of the city and walk around them, just sort of observe life as it's happening, stop at some cafes or maybe a bar. We now, in the post-COVID version of New York, have a lot of outdoor dining that is staying. They're kind of dining sheds. That makes them sound not very nice, but some of them are really nice. Some of them are pretty crappy, but Uh, where restaurants and cafes and bars are allowed to have outdoor seating areas on what was parking spaces on the street. So sitting there and watching the city go by can be a really great experience. And, you know, sort of noticing the differences in different neighborhoods while you're doing that is also fun. I always recommend people take at least one of the ferries while they're here. These are the public transit, large ferries. So they're not very shaky. If you get seasick, you I mean, no promises, but you should be fine. Uh, People, I know people who do normally on smaller boats and, you know, these are very large and they don't go very quickly. So, so like those ferries are like, it's like the Staten Island ferry. Is that what you're talking about? So the most iconic one is the Staten Island ferry, which is actually free. And I think is a really cool experience. You see a lot of New York Harbor and lower Manhattan, Brooklyn, you see the Statue of Liberty and that you can go there and back. 
without paying anything. And also they sell drinks on board. There is, however, about 10 other public transit ferries as well that all cost the cost of one subway swipe. So 275 at the moment. And it's just, I think, a really interesting way to see New York, which is a city built on the water, even though that's not sort of how it's perceived even by New Yorkers today. And there's just very interesting views of a lot of the skyline and all the things that are happening, the bridges. Yeah, especially like, you know, if I say if I'm traveling with my wife and want like, you know, you don't really think of like Staten Island as like romantic or whatever, but you know, <laughs> going there like and, and catching one of those, one of those ferry rides like towards like sunset and being able to see the skyline. I think that'd be kind of a cool thing, especially like you said, if they, they're serving drinks aboard as well. Yes, they do. For whatever reason, on the ferries, they serve drinks. They also serve non-alcoholic beverages or people prefer that, but that's one of the things they offer. Uh, and it's just, it's such an inexpensive experience, but it's such a sort of also priceless one at the same time. Yes, the sunset can be great. It's breezy if it's warm out, um, but there's also inside if it's cold and you can still see much of what there is to see from them. And, you know, it's good for all ages and physical abilities. Absolutely. Now, I know like with, with New York, with such a mixture of, of different cultures and just like kind of like the the rich history of, of the city and everything like that, I know there's a lot of museums there. And one thing that I thought was really interesting is that when people think of New York, obviously think of like it's pricey, it's expensive and everything like that. But there's actually a, a lot of museums actually offer like free entrance a couple times a, a week or once a week or something like that, right? Yes. Almost every museum has at least one period of time a week. So say Friday afternoons or Thursday evenings, it's it's different between each one, but where you can get in without paying. Um, and, you know, they offer that sort of as a public service to the community and to encourage people to maybe come for a little while and then maybe they'll come back another time for longer or more regularly. There's a lot, New York is a very expensive place. I would never tell anyone otherwise. <laughs> it, uh, it would be irresponsible. But there <laughs> is also a lot of free things. The museums do offer uh, free access. There's a lot of live music that doesn't necessarily have covers. And in the summer, in the parks, there's a ton of live music and other events that the city puts on that anyone can go to without paying. Absolutely. And when you think of New York, I think one of the you know, people think of like Broadway and like the, the shows and the performances and everything like that. There's obviously the theater of Broadway shows, but there's also like ballet and, and other types of events as well. Uh, do you have any recommendations for that? Yeah, I love the ballet. It's kind of my favorite performance to see. The different ballet groups perform different times of the year. Two of the biggest ones are Lincoln Center and the Brooklyn Academy of Music, which is generally referred to as BAM. If you hear anyone say BAM, that's what that means. It's uh, in downtown Brooklyn area. It's actually right next to where they built Barclays Center, although BAM's been there for much longer and is by like 17 different subway lines as well and the Long Island Railroad. So that has very good access to it. And the performances are wonderful. And I think whatever you're going to see in New York, Broadway, ballet, the opera, which is not my thing, but some people love it. Everyone does an incredible job with the performances, the performers, the musicians, the costumes, the lighting people. They're really all at the top of their game. And it's a very, you know, those are all very competitive positions. So they put on an incredible show, whatever it might be. That's awesome. And, and when people are thinking of, like, like I said, Broadway, 
again, we like a lot of these tickets are really expensive, especially for like the latest shows and, and, and stuff like that. I think that there's a site called like Today Ticks or something like that where maybe there's some lesser known shows or some some shows that have some empty seats where you can get things at a discount. Yeah, that's something that's popular with people if they want, especially if you're sort of open to seeing different shows. Like you want to come in and say, you know, I'd really like to see something, but there's probably 10 different options I'd be happy with. Today tickets can be a good one. They do still do also like day of rush tickets. Some of them release maybe 20 tickets. That, however, does involve going to the venue and, you know, can be a bit time consuming, whereas obviously using an app to see, you know, who will give me a discount tickets today is, is a lot less time consuming. And then you'll know if you have them or not. And it also, maybe you'll, if you're here for a couple of days, be able to decide which, you know, seems the best. Some play might be available one day and not another day. Absolutely. And then like you said, I one of those things where you're waiting in line, there's no guarantee you're going to get a ticket. Absolutely. Yes. Because another interesting thing you can do is go watch the live taping of a television show, particularly like a lot of late night shows are taped in New York. I've seen a few different ones, the, the Daily Show. And honestly, I've probably seen a lot of shows that no longer exist anymore, like Full Frontal with Samantha Bee and there was the Nightly Show. Those are also, there's no charge. You just usually have to book them out either well in advance, which, you know, when you're booking plane tickets, you could do. Or you can try to get in that day of. That's another one that can be a little time consuming. So maybe not the best use of your time while you're in New York, but you can often go the day of. And especially if it's like not a great weather and people didn't want to wait outside, not everyone is going to show up because those tickets were free. And they'll often just, you know, let in 15, 20 people at the end. Yeah, one thing I want to do the next time we go to New York is the Peloton studios are there. And my wife has like her favorites and everything like that. So that's one of the things I got to do. I got to, I got to figure out how to get some tickets and book us a trip to be able to go sweat and work out and embarrass myself in front of everybody in the studio. That's a great idea. <laughs> so speaking of performances, I, I guess there's also some really cool spots for like live jazz and everything also in New York. Yes, there is a ton of jazz in New York and there's a number of iconic venues that you can go to in different neighborhoods. A lot of them are in the West Village. Uh, Smalls and Village Vanguard and Blue Note all come to mind. I personally really like to go to ones where you can still kind of have a conversation with the people that you came with. I do really appreciate the musicians, but I don't necessarily want to like go sit quietly for two hours and just listen to them, especially you know if this is like the only time you get to hang out with that friend in a week or in a month. So there's a number of ones that I like to go to. Particularly, there's some sort of a, like a traveling circuit of them, if you will. For me, I'm the traveler in this circuit. Um, so there's a <laughs> bar in Williamsburg called Basic that has a jazz with no cover on Sunday evenings. There's a really cool speakeasy-themed bar on the Lower East Side called Backroom. On Mondays, they have jazz, and there's, it's like a dancing jazz the musicians change weekly, so sometimes it's more swingy jazz and sometimes it's less, but there's always people dancing. If you want to go there, you have to Google how to find it because it is literally down a back alley, not even down a side alley. It's very hard to describe. Oh, wow. You can watch TikTok videos of how to enter <laughs> or YouTube videos or something because it. otherwise you're never going to find it. But they're very nice once you get in. <laughs> well, I mean, that's part of the fun of it all, right? It's like that adventure of finding it and like, being like kind of like in the cool crowd of, of <laughs> a select few that have actually found it and, and been there. 
Yes, yes, it is. Uh, it was, you know, 15 years ago or so, 10 years ago, a lot of speakeasy themed bars in New York, and there's still some left. But this is the one that's probably the most like, oh, it's not just like through a little space in a more obvious front space. There's a dance bar called Blind Barber. And it's not clear that it that's what it is from the outside. But you just walk through a mini barber shop and then you're through it. So if you have the address, you're going to find it. Back room is like a gate. You have to believe that no one's going to murder you as you walk through this like <laughs> not very well lit alley area. I honestly don't know how they're allowed to have it. But they are. It's legal. It's it's not, you know. <laughs> and then another always great every night of the week place is Cellar Dog in the West Village, which is in a space that used to be called Fat Cat before the pandemic. Unfortunately, many, many, many places that did not make it through the sort of financial elements of the pandemic in New York, but it was reopened by some other people. Uh, and now it's called Cellar Dog and they have games, ping pong, pool, shuffleboard, board games, and they have live jazz every night of the week from pretty early until quite late. And there covers five or $10, depending on the day. And, you know, uh, you can go in, you don't have to buy anything to drink or anything like that. No one's going to check and just listen to some really great music. And if you're interested in games, that's a good thing to do too. Yeah. I'll just say one last one. Cause I really enjoy it somewhere, nowhere on Wednesday nights, other nights of the week, it's a nightclub. I've never been to the nightclub part on the weekends, but on Wednesdays they do no cover live jazz. The venue is incredible. And it's on the 38th floor of a building in Chelsea and has a really amazing view of the town of New York all lit up. So. Oh, that's awesome. Now, when we talked earlier about like all the different you know, cultures and, and different people from all over the world that, that kind of not only are visiting New York, but also you know taking up residence there and and bringing their cultures with them. I'm sure there's a lot of really great food. We only have a, like a couple minutes, but I just wanted to touch on a couple of your favorites real quick but before we go into the final countdown. Sure. I mean, I think the biggest thing when you come to New York in terms of trying different foods is to like pick food experiences you don't have as much in your city. So if you live in a place that has a lot of Eastern European food, maybe you want to try some Caribbean food or some regional Asian restaurants. And if you live in a place that has a lot of Caribbean food, maybe you want to try some Eastern European food, you know, or uh, African food. You know, there, there's so much. Um, it's really representation from essentially every country in the world in New York. A lot of the smaller places are in Queens. Uh, it can be very fun to spend half a day going and exploring different neighborhoods in Queens, which can be sometimes even feel a little like there's a seven train, which is above ground. And it can feel a bit like a real life version of Epcot with the monorail going over just these <laughs> nice. changing wave after wave after wave of different neighborhoods with populate large populations from different countries of the world. I recently read 150 different countries of origin of the citizens of Queens. So oh, that's awesome. Uh, what are a couple of the recommendations for, for those restaurants? Absolutely. I know I just touched on Queens, but I was going to mention some of the places I really like. There's a taco place in Bushwick, which Bushwick has a large Mexican population called Taqueria Al Pastor. I recommend the Al Pastor tacos there. They do have other ones, but those are ones I'm particularly obsessed with. Soup dumplings from a place called Nomwa, which is one of the oldest Chinese restaurants in the U.S. They have their original location in Chinatown in Manhattan, but they also have newer locations uh, in Nolita and in Chelsea, which will have slightly less of a wait. 
If you are interested in Korean food, there is a Korea town in Manhattan, and I'd recommend a place called Bungum's Barbecue, or if you want barbecue, Korean barbecue. Her name is Han, if you want more of a home-style Korean food, or Little Mad, if you want a modern take on Korean food. And all of those are in like a two-block radius of each other, because Koreatown is in like one of the super dense parts of Manhattan, and it's lots of restaurants on multi-levels of the buildings there. Nice. We don't have a lot of uh, you know, Asian food here in, in Nashville, uh, a lot of barbecue <laughs> and home cooking <laughs> and everything. But uh, like you said, it's when you visit a city like New York, you want to experience things that you can't find at home that we get that, that really unique experience for sure. When you think of New York, a lot of times you think of mobsters and uh, the Italians and everything <laughs> like that. Any suggestions there? Absolutely. One of my favorite places is called Supper in the East Village. Another one is called Nona Dora's. Sorry, like Nona, I'm butchering that. Like Nona, like Grandmother Dora's in Murray Hill. Those are both places that do homemade pasta and they're really delicious. In Park Slope, there's a place called Aldi La Trattoria that's also does really impressive and interesting Italian food. There's also... It's not exactly an ethnic restaurant. Uh, This is more of just, we also do have a lot of really high-end, interesting, new American, experimental food in New York. And there's a wonderful place in Greenpoint called Fulgrances. The people who own it are French, but it features a rotating cast of chefs, people who are up and coming in the field. And so they're really trying to showcase their talents there. And it just really leads, I think, to some interesting experiences. They've had people from... Ukraine and from Thailand. And, you know, I I don't know who the chef at the moment is, but I'm sure it's a really interesting experience. And it's really a dine, you know, it's a multi-hour sort of tasting menu restaurant, and you can really have a great experience. And then you can explore Greenpoint a little bit, which also has some cute bars and walk down to the waterfront and see a gorgeous view of Manhattan. That's awesome. Now, I, like I said, I, I've been to New York numerous times and I'm, I'm learning all these like new spots that, I, that I've never been to. So <laughs> it's great right before my trip to coming out there. Now it's time for the final countdown. If somebody only had time for one meal when they visited New York, where should they go and what should they eat? I think they should eat a bagel with lox and cream cheese. Even if you aren't interested in eating lox with smoked salmon, try it once. It is very much a New York thing. We love smoked fish here. I would recommend the bagels from Tompkins Square Bagel. It's kind of a contentious conversation, but they are handmade, literally hand rolled out every single day and then boiled. So very traditionally made and just an excellent bagel. Right on. Yeah. Like you said, like it's, you got to have that experience that you can't find elsewhere. And like everybody says, like there's something about the New York bagels with the water or something like that. that uh, <laughs> I think we just care so much that we like put a lot of love into them. Um, and they're made very differently than particularly like if you're buying a bagel at a grocery store, which is going to be made by a machine. Oh, for sure. For sure. Now, like you said, you li- you've lived in New York uh, for, for quite a while now. What's one of your most memorable stories of being there? One of the things I really love about New York is you get to see other people's lives unfold in front of you. And conversely, are somebody whose life unfolds in public in front of other people, right? So whether it's fighting on the subway or breaking up on the subway platform or, you know, having a first kiss in the middle of a crowded plaza of people, all of that makes up part of part of like the city life around you and for you. And this is a bit of a sad story, but something that just always so memorable for me 
is I was on the J train a few years ago and it's uh, above ground in Brooklyn. And this woman was almost it's the middle of the day. There's almost nobody else on the subway in the car. And it's essentially me and this other woman in the sort of middle section of the car. And she gets a phone call and I don't know exactly what happened, but it was obviously terrible news because she just immediately starts, she's like freaks out and starts bawling and just, it's like, oh my God. And they're having this conversation and it becomes clear that something to the effect of somebody unexpectedly died. And it was so just to sort of see that happen for this person in public in sounded like a good experience, but it was just such an interesting life experience to have. And you're sitting there thinking, do I say something? Do I offer a tissue? What am I going to do when she gets off the phone right now? It's, uh, yeah, it's really a whole host of <laughs> public experiences. Yeah, it's one of those things, because I, I also know that New Yorkers are, as for as loud as like loud and boisterous as they can be, they're also very like fiercely private people too. And, you know, even though they're doing things like that in public, it's like they, it's like they have a little bubble around themselves and they, they expect that nobody else is really noticing. So it's, it's a tough situation to be in. Yes. People do sort of expect that there's so many other people around most of the time that no one's paying any attention to you, which is generally true, but, um, you know, also doesn't mean that we aren't all affected by each other in some way. Oh, absolutely. And, um, while I'm on this topic, just very quickly, I want to say the subway is very safe. New York, yes, the crime is up marginally from before the pandemic, but it's still at historic lows in a general context. So. For sure, for sure. <laughs> well, after hearing that story, I, 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 think, I, need, I think I need a drink. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, you know, need to cheer up and everything like that. So where's the happiest happy hour in New York? So the biggest kind of happy hour in New York, obviously we have the traditional kind, but is oyster happy hour, which is dollar or maybe at this point dollar fifty to two dollar oysters each um and there'll also be drink specials but you know new york was once upon a time built on oysters new yorkers eat a lot of oysters they don't come out of the uh new york harbor anymore they more come from long island or prince edwards island or even sometimes further away but we still love them and eat them a lot two of my favorites are there's a place called Crave, which has a location in Midtown East and one on the Upper West Side. There's a place called Bar Crudo in Park Slope. And just really fun. Sit around with some friends, eat oysters, have some drinks, and um, just imagine what it was like to live in a, a world full, plentiful oysters. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, my brother loves oysters, so I'm going to have to bring him up there and, and we're going to check it out. Now, we'll I know New York is like known for its pizza and they they have a very strong feelings about their pizza versus like Detroit or Chicago. Where's the best place for pepperoni pizza in New York? So I am not a huge pizza person. And I, over the weekend in preparation for this, asked some friends of mine at a, at a friend's house, what they thought. And it basically started a giant fight. <laughs> so no one's speaking to each other ever again, which is an exaggeration, but it is that it is such a contentious topic of conversation in New York. Like if you stopped a hundred people, they would probably give you a hundred answers and all of them would be a hundred percent sure that they were right. I personally, please don't come for me. People I think Joe's is really great pizza and the sort of classic New York slices, like the large flat pizza. That's pretty simple. Another one that's very good, a little higher end pizza Juliana's in Dumbo, which is near Brooklyn Bridge Park, if you're going there. 
Also really Polly G's in Greenpoint. It's another fun one with interesting toppings on it. Well, definitely lots of good, uh, good choices to choose. And uh, if we don't like those, like literally you can probably go to like four doors down and find another pizza spot. Yeah. So. <laughs> just don't eat the pizza that claims it costs 99 cents. It's not going to be good. And I cannot imagine what they're putting in it to charge you that little. So, you know, the pizza slice should cost about what the subway costs. Okay. That's a good, that's a good marker, you know, cause inflation is <laughs> going to happen over yes. time and everything. Yes, so and they are probably raising the cost of the subway at the end of the year. So <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, like we talked about that, you travel a lot for, for personal, we're going to talk a little bit about your business here in a second where there's it's also travel related. So between all that, what's one of the best travel tips you've, you've amassed over time? About anywhere in the world. I would say one of the biggest thing is if you're going to a place Try to see what that place has to offer and don't just sort of do the things that you normally like to do, but in that place, if that makes sense. Um, you know, really try to absorb as much about there as you can. About New York specifically, I would say if you want to see the city from above, which is pretty cool, I wouldn't recommend paying to go to the top of a building like 30 Rock or One World Trade Center, but to go to one of the rooftop bars, like West Light in Williamsburg or Mr. Purple on the Lower East Side, Panorama Room on Roosevelt Island, which is a crazy view. So Roosevelt Island is between Manhattan and Queens. It's just like a tiny little place. And that way you can really get the experience of seeing New York from above and you get a drink as part of the deal or you often they don't actually check to see if you have bought anything also. But the ones where you buy the tickets can just be very hurried and a lot of people and won't be as relaxing as uh, going to the bar. Yeah, absolutely. You're not going to be able to just sit and chill and relax and enjoy it. Spending all that money, you want to be able to enjoy it versus like, okay, there's 10 people behind you pushing because they're all trying to get off the elevator. Yes, yes. And they, <laughs> you know, they really try to herd people through that, those places, you know, to obviously, because it's a business to bring people up to the top, which is a little different than a rooftop bar or restaurant, which yes, they want as many people to come, but they also want you to enjoy and buy things. So they try to make it a more pleasant experience. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Rebecca, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all these amazing tips. Wait, can I give you one more, sorry, piece of information about New York? That's probably different the last time you were here. You can now get on any subway or bus using like Apple pay, Samsung pay, et cetera, on your phone. You don't need Metro cards or any other third party system. As long as you have that, like something you might use to pay at a coffee shop, you can just tap that to get on to any kind of public transit. Oh, that's really great to know. Yeah, because I know sometimes the machines are broken and everything like that, and we don't have exact change. And Yes, that is over. No more exact change on the bus. Just uh, tap your phone or tap a tappable credit card. Anything with Bluetooth basically in it will work. Oh, that's fantastic. But again, like, I really appreciate you sharing all these amazing tips. I've, I've learned a lot, and I'm, I'm ready for my trip next month. And I'm going to try some new places and and see some new things for sure. But can you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. I am the program director for Not Just Tourists New York City, which is a nonprofit. And to be clear, I'm a volunteer, but we collect surplus medical supplies and donate them to underserved clinics abroad. And we actually do that via travelers going to those places. So we collect, again, medical supplies that are otherwise going to be thrown away, which there's enormous amounts of waste in the system. It's not medical waste. It's stuff that just can't be used here for one reason or another. Oftentimes people may be moving offices. Like I've had nurses be like, oh, we moved offices and here are several cases of gloves or 
people buy them for people they're caring for at home, and then they don't need them anymore. And we fill suitcases of medical supplies. And when travelers are going to underserved communities, they can take them and donate them directly to a medical clinic or hospital there. We help connect you with them as well as provide you the paperwork for customs in the other country to do so. So you give back a bit while you're traveling. And then also you get to have a really unique experience connecting you to the place that you're visiting. The organization has been around for about 30 years. The original location is in Canada. um, And now there are chapters pretty much across Canada and a number of them as well in the US and one in London, London, England, because actually there's one in London, Canada too. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it's just a really good way to combine sort of wanting to give back and also having a different experience on your trip. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and, you know, we're all very lucky to be able to travel as much as we do. And, you know, doing something like this is a small token of being able to give back and uh, doesn't require a whole lot of effort, just a little bit of orchestrating your time and, you know, getting everybody together to get the suitcase and dropping it off and everything like that. And I think that's a great way to be able to give back and help out other parts of the world that are definitely more in need than we are. Rebecca, great to have you on the show. We're going to include links to all these in the show notes. And uh, we look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Thank you so much. What an awesome conversation with Rebecca. I love visiting New York and the nonstop energy of the city that never sleeps. So I'm excited about exploring her suggestions on my next visit. You can find all the links we talked about today and our one-page guide of Rebecca's tips at wetravelthere.com forward slash New York. We want to say thank you to Awardwall for being today's affiliate partner. It's my favorite way to track airline miles, hotel points, and other loyalty programs. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash award wallet to start your free account today. Join us next time as we head to Tucson, Arizona to speak with my new friend, Matt Miner of the Work Pants Finance Podcast. In this episode, Matt and I talk about exploring Saguaro National Park, visiting the Pima Air and Space Museum, and stargazing through the world's largest public telescope at the University of Arizona. We hope you join us when we travel there. I love hearing your feedback about the show. Send me a tweet at WeTravelThere or email me at WeTravelThere.com for such contact to share your thoughts. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with your friends and tell them what you like most. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast app. That way you won't miss any of our upcoming destinations. <laughs>